friends, welcome back to Sporty Talks. My name is Virgil Stanescu, and in today's episode, my guest is a former rugby player. He studied history and the Russian language at Nottingham University. From 2006, he is part of DHL team. Lived in Russia and Qatar, and for six years now, he leads DHL Romania from the CEO position. He loves to write. He published a book called Maya the Mouse, and he is also a co-author of a book about Russian history. He's involved in many social projects, considering his duty to positively contribute. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Carvel. Okay, Daniel, first of all, thank you for, um, for having me and for discussing a little bit about sports. It's, uh, it's an honor for me knowing your history of sport, your involvement in sport and, and your vision about sport and, and I like talking to you about that and we're just, just, just for people to know, we end up a conversation of probably 40 minutes just before the podcast, just a friendly conversation, we could have speak for another two days, so it's a pleasure to, to Thank be you, here. Thank you, Virgil, thank you for the invitation, it's a pleasure to be here and it's always great to chat to you informally or formally, what can I say? We could chat all night, couldn't we? Right, let, let, let's see what, what we get out of this. Uh, first of all, you, you played sports and then you didn't just play sports, you, you play rugby at a higher level. How was that and why did you stop? Yeah, I, th I think rugby and sport has always been, it's always been a part of my life. I started playing rugby when I was four years old and I played for 22 years or 23 years. Um, I stopped because so many rugby players do stop because of an injury which meant that I effectively broke my back um, and uh, yeah recuperating from that for, for, for a couple of years after a, a, an operation that was the reason that I had to stop and um, even now in my shall I say late 30s I'm still uh, thinking I could be a contender as they say and I could still could play I could get back fit again and you know what it's like you know you never quite he never quite replaced the dressing room buzz, you know, and I think there's something in that, you know. 20, 24 years, you know, I'm, I started playing basketball when I was 17 and I, mm -hmm. I, I retired when I was 37. Okay. So I played 20 years, so now when you're talking about <laughs> 27, you play longer than me in sport. It is, but this is what how sport is, and you're still recuperating, right? Like yeah, I, I think, I think if. You know, recuperation, you'll probably, I never play rugby again, but what I can do is play the sports that I love, you know, golf and tennis and run and gym, and I think, as importantly, play with the kids and play football with them in the garden. I think I, just as I thought I was getting fit again, I then pulled a hamstring playing football in the garden with my kids. So that was a message for me, enough is enough. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I think... Sport has always been a part of my life and now it's more spectating and um, it's made me, I think, what I am in many senses. How is the education part of your life? A lot of people think that, you know, if you're an athlete, you just do sports. I think that, and I was fortunate enough to have been brought up in the UK, went to a good school and, and sports and education, I think, went very much hand in hand. You know, I think in winter we play rugby and football in, in summer we would play cricket athletics and it was just something that we did and we had the opportunity i think to play many different sports and i think that's something that's a bit different perhaps to, to us here in romania where generally people focus on one sport i think it was of tremendous value that you know that particularly the ball skills um we learned from a very early age and i, and I think it was something that 
gave us the values as well that we have today. So it's very much part of the education that we have. You know, sport teaches you how to, you know, provide great sportsmanship, be great athletes, but also behave in the correct manner. And I think that went very much hand in hand with the education system that we had. And to be fair, there were many, you know, I would say that I probably played sports, you know, and I, I had an education, fairly standard education, but I'd have played six, six to eight hours of sport a week, you know, so, and, and we had the opportunities to, to do really whatever we wanted. And I think, you know, I, and even now I go back to the UK and I see sports fields in the UK being used from the morning until the evening. And I think there's a very strong culture of sport, not only at elite level, but sport going through society. And I guess you see that in the number of people that support whatever sport it is and the numbers of spectators. It's just part of our culture, I think. Thinking also, I went to, to the States for, for a scholarship and uh, I know it's hard. You know, it's hard to go to university. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that you have people do, but you go to classes and you go to exams and you go to everything. And now you know, double that work because you also have practice, you also have games, you also have this, and and it's not like you say you you can say okay, I'm I'm not doing this because I'm an athlete, but it's opposite. You have to maintain a certain average of, of GPA. Or uh, you know to be to be really involved because otherwise you're not allowed to play. So it, it's this double career already started with education when you have your student on one side and, and the athlete on one mm -hmm. side, and people don't understand that you know you can do both. And I know it's hard, and this is what actually made us probably like performers. Mm -hmm. But you felt that, and you didn't leave education on the side. Well, I, I think there becomes a time when you know you either become a, a professional sportsman or and do your education on the side, or you go off into academia, or you go and go and work. And I think you know at that time I went off to study. I went to Russia. Um, probably that time for me was you know in, the, in, the, in my early twenties when I was offered the opportunity to play professional rugby in in, in Russia and the travel requirement being about three days just to get to the match, then it really became impossible to juggle, um, you know, professional requirements with the sporting requirements. And it was at that stage I knew I probably wasn't going to be a professional, but then I would be a semi-professional. I set up a club in St. Petersburg and continued to play as a hobby to a good standard, but not as a professional. I think, you know, and I, but, but I would always urge balance. I think it's, it's, you know, if you are only going to concentrate on one sport from an early age and for whatever reason that doesn't happen, it's always crucial, I think, to have something to fall back on and to have that balance of other interests. And, you know, I'm sure we all know examples of people who have been obsessed in achieving whatever it is. And then perhaps like me, you know, they had a, a career ending injury and it hasn't happened and they haven't got something to fall back on. And I think that probably as a community is something that we could do better in, you know, educating our sports people. In terms of life after life after. So what about what about that? I mean, I was fortunate enough to quit on my terms. What about when you don't, when you're not, and like you said, you got injured, and your whole universe changed. I think I was fortunate in that I I already had, you know, a, a certain career growth by that stage, and I was already working, was managing in DHL, my company that I worked for in, in Russia, um, which had a very strong sporting ethic, and I think that's also important and visible to me to this day. Um, 
so I, but I can I can only imagine that the culture shock of being in the dressing room or with the team on a day-to-day basis and then suddenly to have that taken away and speaking to friends of mine for whom that has happened it's it is a shock and I, I would argue that it's the responsibility of the teams, the clubs and the culture to somehow, and I think a lot of them do, and again, we're talking very generally in specific sports are probably better than others, to prepare yeah. their players for life after. You, you believe that? No, I don't think a lot of they do, them do. I mean, I, I think that the big, the big programs, the big teams might be uh, involved in that, but the majority do not care. I, I, I believe so. I don't know, it's my personal opinion. Uh, because because I, I don't think they're very careful on you know especially professional teams kind of act more mercenary also with the with the players and make players be mercenaries I think whatever sport you're looking at and whatever country um, I think the pressure to achieve results here and now this season is always or invariably, to me, seems to be priority absolutely number one. You must. So, in order to, for you to live, you have to perform. You know, and, and, and that at the expense of sometimes even a mid-term strategy. Um, you know, and, you, and I, you could pinpoint any number of, of sports, you know, football being a classic example of, um, you know, the English Premier League, I was reading last week, that had the least ever number of English players in the Premier League last weekend. I think it was 45. So we have 18 teams in the Premier League. We have only 45 English players playing. And the reason for that is because of, you know, we want results now. We want to import, you know, talented players from overseas. And of course, there's an argument that that is a positive thing because it brings the standards up. It forces or it enables the, the English kids to to get better quicker or the bar to be let to be raised um, but on the other hand it means that the playing time for English kids is limited um, they have to go abroad um, I think there are two arguments to that you know there are because you know kids the English kids um, they can go drop down a level get some experience at a longer and are not playing the second team of a Premier League team but the basic fact is there's not enough chances at the top level um, Right, but now sense. when you say Premier League is one of the best leagues in, in the world, so it's a global it's a global league. It's not it's not an English league. I mean it's yes. it's based there but it's a global league and, and it's tough for a, a local to you know compete with the whole world. And this is what actually makes it such an big business sports and the leagues like that if it's Premier League or if it's NBA or mm-hmm. if it's leagues that, that big which are just based somewhere but they're global leagues but surely I mean wouldn't you agree that you know in the in soccer's case the football association you know there could be some checks and balances to ensure that there are a minimum and I know that there are and I'm not saying there are X number of under 21 players have to be in the squad um but it, it seems to me that you know it's, it's still a, a low percentage. Um, but whether you prioritise the business of, of sport and the commercialisation of it and the incredible amounts of money that are generated through sponsorship and, and television and what have you, or whether you're using football to promote the national team and to, to help the national team achieve a great result, and clearly there are different governing bodies and uh, you know working together 
I guess sometimes is a challenge, um, the twin aims really. And that's why federation, or at least the federation is in, in Romanian sort of terms, is really important because they're the governors of the sport and they should be the guardians of its future, its development and, and kind of the values as well. True, true. And uh, I, I, this is why I said that, uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of programs focus on athletes' education uh, when they pass a certain age. But coming back to you, imagine if you wouldn't get injured, but you would still have a turning point. I, I still have a turning point when, you know, I decided enough is enough. And is I'm not retiring and I'm not going fishing. Mm -hmm. I have to do something, right? So sure. my, my fridge has still to be filled. And <laughs> now comparing to the young age, I have two kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of a sudden your whole paradigm mm -hmm. change and you decide that, hey, what, what now? Mm -hmm. No, so if you didn't get ready before for this change, it's tough. And and we both know that you know while while you're playing, you're so passionate on it, mm -hmm. and you put so much into it. And uh, and this is why sport is such a great place because you're totally committed. So you hear a lot of the athletes saying, hey, you know, basketball is my life, or football is my life, or rugby is my life, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's not. It's what they what we're doing at the moment, mm -hmm. and our life it's way more than that. So mm -hmm. how we get ready for that? I think you have to build a culture around it. I think you have to. I think you have to make a conscious effort to include education, not just as a side point of a side part of being a sportsman, but it has to be. You know, I, I think. You know, and you will know this far better than me, but the NBA and the American system seems to me incredibly effective because, as you said, you need to study, but you don't need to just study. You have to get a certain grade, which presumably focuses you very much on the education as well. I think, as you said, when you're young and you're playing sport, sport is the focal point of your life. And then to say, well, you know, twice in the evening, you're going to go and do some business studies. You know, I think somehow you have to embed it in the culture of learning rather than just putting it on as a tack on and say you've got to go and do this. Because if you don't do it from an early age, you know, and I see from having spent quite a lot of many years in Eastern Europe, the Eastern Europe approach traditionally has been from a young age, you are identified as extremely talented. Uh, you are taken off to a camp or a, a location where you're going to be trained to a very high standard. You're going to compete, hopefully, if you do well for the national team and internationally for the next 10 to 15 years. And then when you retire at 25, 30, I imagine it's, it's very difficult, stroke impossible, then to suddenly switch and become, you know, do something else in commerce or business or teaching or whatever it is. Yeah, I can imagine that that cultural shock is absolutely huge. Um, but then again, you know, Romania traditionally has been very successful at Olympic Games if you look over a you know, 30, 50 year period. So, so well, last time I looked, we were, or Romania was number 16 in the all time medals list. Yeah, I think it probably has dropped down since the last uh, Olympics a little bit. And probably you would argue that the system of coaching probably needs to evolve a little bit. Um, but, but I don't know. I think I would say that it's good for kids to try different sports. And I think if I use the Western Europe example, France in particular, UK in particular, is identifying kids slightly later, later in life. You know, I mean, my kids do gymnastics. And somebody said, well, you know, at eight years of old, eight years age, you, you, she's finished. 
they're good enough or they're not eight years of age. Well, if you look at some of the very successful gymnasts who have won medals, they haven't taken to gymnastics till the age of 12, 13, 14. Now, in this country, and you have a tremendous respectful tradition of gymnastics, that would perhaps be slightly alien. Um, again, there's no right or wrong answer, but different countries and different attitudes, I think, mean that the approach is somewhat different. No, but that, that's, that gymnastics is kind of an exception because you, you retired at 18. I don't know if it's good or bad. I'll start thinking or talking about Andrea Tucano, for example. Sure. And I think she retired when she was 18 or something like that. Yeah, Andrea Andre is a friend and, and a hero of mine, and she is, is a great example of someone who's done a, is, is doing fantastic things right. for her sport after having retired in their early 20s. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, and she, she also a model of. How, how you need to translate that. However, you know, you finish high school at 18. I mean, I retired at 37. <laughs> I, when, when I retired, I was thinking that I have 13 years till 50, <laughs> when I have to be oriented in a different direction, you know, and it's, it's so much tougher mm -hmm. because you're, and, and I'm not talking about myself, but because I was fortunate enough to, to lay down a road that I really liked. Sure. And, uh, but, but there are so many that they do not have this opportunity. And, and how you translate those soft skills that you learn? Because I think it's both ways. You, you have an advantage playing sports, and we're talking about how important is, is, is school for athletes, but I also believe that we, we don't emphasize enough how important is sport for school. Like, you know, is the, the applied, class from the first grade. From the first grade you learn teamwork, you learn uh, uh, taking care of, of each other, you learn how to assume uh, responsibility, how mm -hmm. to get out of your comfort zone and things like that, that all the HRs of every company is trying to teach mm -hmm. the employees. Yeah. Well, and I think there are many examples of you know, us as, as a company in our company life have actively favoured former sports people. Why? Because they have the values such as discipline, teamwork, um, as one as we call it, you know, so we're absolutely working as, as a team and, and going the extra mile. They have those values that we need as a company and I'm pretty sure every company needs. So that level of discipline that a former sports person can bring to an organisation is absolutely huge. Sometimes, as you say, some of the soft skills and some of the ability to translate that into a different environment is lacking. But I would also argue that if, you, if you're not familiar with sport, you know, and it used to be called, where I'm from, it used to be called sport for all, sport, participation sport. Yeah, from, you know, for the masses. For, for, for everybody. And, you know, I, I see it over years has, has gone from, you know, the traditional, we have a team and we play against other schools to now, which is everybody needs to participate. You know, for example, in, in soccer, um, from, from my kids' example, you know, they're now encouraged to play every position until the age of 11. I can remember I was in a from the age of about six I played in the midfield and I played in, I didn't want to play in defense when I was six but when I look back on it I think probably it's good to give people the opportunity to do lots of other different things be to be versatile and then to give yourself the kind of flexibility to play everyone on the pitch and to have those different experiences now if you've had a different experience of playing not just one sport but different sports 
and understanding how a team interacts with one another and you've taken that culture on with you to the age of, you know, if it's compulsory up to a certain age, then I think that instills a lot of the values that are going to be useful to people in life. Um, you know, I'm not sure that happens um, all, all the time because, you know, in, in, in the five or six countries that I've lived in, it's always famous cases of, you know, pieces of land in a big city that are going to be, you know, bulldozed that used to be sports pitches and, you know, and now it's an office building and, uh, I don't know, sort of sports somehow sometimes is an, is an easy victim. Um, and, and in the school curriculum, I know, for example, in Romania there is a, there's a minimum, isn't there, for, for kids? I think it's two hours? Two hours. Two hours a week, so we have the two hours a week. Um, and, and actually, if we're talking about Romania, and I travel the country a lot, you know, because we have 50 locations, and I am impressed with the sports halls. I believe you have sports halls in this country. You have space, and in, in, in the province towns, you know, uh, they're all to a certain standard. My question is, and I'll go back to what I said earlier, is are those sports centres, are they open, commercialised and used from morning until evening? Because I think they could be, and I think that's one way that we could perhaps encourage people to do more sport. We need to make it more user-friendly and easy for people to play sport, whatever sport that is. You're very keen of, of education and you, you, everything you do, your involvement is a lot in education. and. Um, Thank you for having me in, in your Pleasure. mentoring program. Pleasure. Uh, for for people to know, you 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 took a program that you know, you took some kids just to be like some lifestyle advisor, mentors, and and things like that. Tell us a little bit about that. So I think um, a few years ago, upon visiting the Suchava region um, of Romania, specifically Gorokomorli stumbled upon a, only an area which is a fabulous area full stops so book is absolutely wonderful with wonderful people but an area that's absolutely it's rich in sporting tradition and it's particularly in in, in rugby tradition um, and in particular you know going into the local school there i realized there are a lot of kids who traveled a long way for one to come to school you know and they had to change and they had to get a bus and this and that and in thinking about this, we came upon the idea of offering, um, what is this year, 20 scholarships to children who are from uh, the Suchava region um, and giving them the opportunities to move into the school at the age of sort of 15, 16, 17, and to offer them a, a, a personal development program which involves um, psychologists um, with the community organization we work with up there, Taal Romania, have wonderful partners, Gabriel Popescu. Um, so they have lessons, personal development, psychologists, um, their schooling is supported by the program. And I think interestingly, and it's been incredible to see how these kids have grown, every, every one of these 20 children on the program has a mentor of um, such as yourself, you know, esteemed former sports people or high-level managers, typically from Bucharest, but, but, but not only, um, and they're mentors. So they can offer the kids advice on life, they can open doors, uh, and generally just to keep in touch and, and hopefully, you know, help them on their journey. And I think the aim of this uh, is really, it's actually, it's a community generation, not regeneration, I'm a community, community development program, because there are 
you know, we've also started together with um, Bechere and our friends in Guruhamorli, the senior rugby club up there, for the first time in 38 years. It's competing in the Dinese, the second division of professional rugby in Romania. So we're hopefully offering them the opportunity to stay in Guruhamorli. A lot of people leave, as you know, that area of Romania to play professional rugby one day in, for the team in Gorokomorli. We're offering them the personal development and we're offering them somebody that they can get advice and lean on in the shape of the mentors. So it's our aim that we keep doubling this program to 10 to 20 to 40 to 80 um, and sort of making a difference. But it's about giving opportunity and um, hopefully supporting the region and community as a whole as a result. Mm. Uh, I wish more programs like this would, would be around in different sports also because we I didn't have the chance of, of a mature athlete to come and put a hand on my shoulder and say hey, listen I'm here you know, or mm-hmm. you know I, I can help you or whatever we had to go around or different times and now that that I'm fortunate enough to be in a program from UK uh, a lifestyle advisor program I see how the system needs to help those kids. You know, uh, talking to one of my good friends, Guy Taylor, he's, he's the, the director of this mm-hmm. program. He was saying that his biggest challenge was to push the decision of sport of school from 14 to 18. Mm-hmm. And said once he, he they started the program uh, in, in UK was that the average age was 14 and now it's 18 after 15 years. Because, you know, at 14 is not his decision. That is not his decision. And it's either parents' decision or a situation decision. Mm-hmm. And you have a kid at 14 that, you know, is, is going all in on, on an age that he might not be ready later on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and not a lot we, we had in, in, in our basketball program. So how that filter of kids it's so thin from 2,000 people actually you, you think that maybe four are going to make it to the senior level. Mm-hmm. So in, in the whole process and, and four, what happens to the other 1,996? So they're trying to push this age to 18 when you know, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're going through like puberty and all that and you see if you made for that sport. So it, these mentorships programs and these programs are like actually taking care of these kids and make it normal, like give them a chance to do both, I think. So that, this is why I resonated with it. And, and I think as important yeah. as that is, you know, if, let's say of the 20 kids that we've got today, if none of them become a professional rugby player, but all of them stay in Romania and they get They're, good and stable right. jobs, They're and the program has been a success, yeah? yeah? So I wouldn't sure. want it to be a... You know, we're driving the rugby, and they are talented sportsmen, don't get me wrong, they are, but really, it's about them making positive changes to their community. Definitely, uh, because as, as I said, 1,996 kids, if they still stay educated in the, in the system, that's the huge win. Not the four, it's too expensive. For the four, this program was too expensive. Mm-hmm. If if you focus only on the four, but if you focus on all, then it's a, you can turn it into a success much easier. Like with people like you that you know coming out of sports, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and they can be the next CEO or the, an architect or a medic or whatever. I think also, and, and kind of some of my in, inspiration in terms of how sports should look like is 
So there's a French rugby club called La Rochelle, and it's a different club because it doesn't necessarily have a lot of the tradition, the big support of some of the, you know, Bordeaux or Paris or Biarritz or some of the traditional clubs. What it does have is hundreds of sponsors. So what, again, we're trying to do is put the club in the heart of the community and have, like La Rochelle, tens of hundreds of other people supporting it so that then it becomes sustainable. Because I think in, the, in you know, rugby, my sport, you know, what is not good for the environment is to have a team, and again, not just rugby, you know, we can think of examples in other sports in Romania, pretty much every sport, I think, that a club is here and is successful and wins titles and championships and then doesn't even exist the following year. So, you know, if you don't have, and there are many, as we know, clubs with history and heritage and support that still to this day don't exist. Um, so that makes it very, very difficult. So I think anything you do, I think any level of stability, long-term planning, I mean, you have to have that. You have to have that long-term view. Yeah, but I believe that as long as we see sports as a hobby, it's going to stay a hobby. And I think you as a, as a business person, you see more than just, you know, the, the pleasure of practicing or playing or time being on the court, but its impact on society and on communities and on, on things like that. What would you do if you would be tomorrow the president of federation, pick a federation, I don't care. I think you'd have to start with uh, the first question I'd ask in any federation and, you know, DHL, we know football federation and we support the logistics partners, same with the rugby federation and one or two others pretty well. I think it starts with kids. I think I'd want to know what programs are in place for under eights, 10s, 12s, 13s, 14s, and so I'd, I'd want to know what system is in place and I'd want to know uh, what programs are in place to promote the sport in the schools. Because I think it's very difficult, it's very difficult. And by the way, the challenge Romania has is partly geographical. Because even though in smaller level sports you have participation, I take badminton, for example, I know um, very well. And the president there does a fantastic job doing what she is doing, trying to get badminton into sports. She's great. Um, And and she's brilliant. Um, But the challenge that we have, say, in rugby is that the com- country is so big that the tra- just the travel involved for youth sport is, is huge because unless you've got many teams in your locality, you know, in, in my sport that I'm involved in, we have 14, 15, 16 year old kids traveling seven hours to play and, and don't forget some of them will not play the full game and then they'll travel back the next day. Now. The, the, there probably is an argument that is better than nothing, but I'd also argue it's not particularly healthy to have that load of travel, even though the kids, you know, I'm absolutely astonished by the levels of passion that Romanian children have for sport, the ones I know, you know, because it means so much to them that they're prepared to sacrifice pretty much everything else to go and travel for 14 hours to play a game of rugby. Now, isn't that everywhere? Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not, you know, and, well, and I, like the, but the level of passion I'm talking uh, about. This is what sports. Brings. Yes, I think it is, but I think, I think it's harder and harder. I think you know, not just millennials, it's Generation Z. I think there are more, you know, the workplace is a more difficult place to manage because people have bigger, larger, and different expectations. In the same way that 
teenagers and kids younger than that, they have too many, many more distracting things than what we did when we were growing up. Yeah. So, I mean, all the more case for us having to work harder to attract people into sport and create something that makes it attractive. Now, when I was growing up, whatever sport I was playing, there would be, be a league and there'd be a competition. I want to see how we were doing. Now, um, I suppose the question I would ask is, you know, could we here, could, could there be into school leagues? Now, I know there are, there are school teams and they play, um, but if it's part of the institutions here, if it's part of the curriculum, if it's part of something that's organised on a cohesive basis, then we wouldn't be relying on passionate people as teachers and PE teachers and physical education teachers driving it one by one because those people do exist here and there are many of them whose passion for sport is incredible but if we had a framework here which said you know we're going to have sport for all we're going to have a community we're also going to have organized competitions if that's what we want to do for the kids so to your question that's what i want to dig into first of all now there are many other things that would come after that clearly you'd want to understand you know what levels of financing you're getting privately what level of financing you're getting from you know, City Hall or government or whoever it is, what level of financing, if anything, you're getting from television. So there's those things come. But if you don't have the youth programs in place, everything no, else is secondary. Most of the time, most of the times, especially in the teams, team games, the money are coming from the senior teams mm-hmm. because you know taxes and everything that sure. you know, they, they contribute to the federation, and a part, of course, on on projects through ministry or, or sure. other other forms of, of income. But most of the thing is that, okay, if, if I'm association of clubs, as the federation is, they're like, okay, we're paying to organize a senior level, mm-hmm, high mm-hmm. competition mm-hmm. level. And that's when it's like, yeah, but you have to put into kids. Yes, but we have also have to have a championship. Yes, but where is the private money? Yes, but this is the public money. And, and things like that would bring people from, you know, especially when, when a lot of places, let, let me say politically correct, mm. a lot of places that are like public funded, mm. they're not managed, but they're administrated, which it's a totally different view because they're administrated, they have some people to take the money and, and spread it up and make decisions mm-hmm. in the process, where the managing is, is when you have a leader, you know, taking decisions and assuming sure. responsibility, which is hard with public money. Sure. And I'm not saying that not talking about incompetencies or anything sure. like that. Well, even though we, we lack the, the turnover of professionals in sports, we, we believe that if you play sport, then you're also a good manager, like in a lot of other areas, uh, medical or mm-hmm. schools or whatever. Uh, but <laughs> you, you, put, you put a lot of stuff on education in your life, not, mm-hmm. not only in sports. And I see that sport is a big part of that education, but mm. With your kids, with with DHL, with uh, the mentoring, with your private projects, with everything, where is the balance? Uh, I think you, I think with you're, balance, you're balance, balance comes. Yeah, you're balance right comes from um, from making a difference, from fulfilment. Um, you know, and I'm very fortunate that um, we have a strong and stable business here that I look after with great team. Um, and that you know, we take the rugby. Um, is you know the project, the mentorship, the community activities, fully supported by, and um, 
invested in by the company. You know? So I think we have a great company with a great set of values that measure ma- matches those of sport. And actually, it's not just me saying that. You know, you look at you know DHL's association with Formula One, with Bayern Munich, with Manchester United, um, with Ram Volvo Ocean Yacht Race. So across the spectrum, we support many many sports because we see it as a great fit for our values you know rugby world cup which is coming next year so i'm fortunate as a sports fan um, but i, I think it's, it is no coincidence that many of our top managers are that we're sports fans um and frankly that's a big attraction for many people of, of the company you know you like writing sure and you wrote a book right? sure uh, sure it's the the my mouth sure yeah good memory and uh i read somewhere that you don't want to stop here. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yes, uh, that, that is that is true. Well, the reason for that is partly because I don't really want to, but it's mainly because I have two daughters. And the first one was after my eldest right. daughter, and the second one has to be after my second daughter because she's asking where her book is. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're eight and six, and the next, the next book um, is out. It will be out with the toy in March, April next year. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the, the the I wrote them as just something for my kids. I showed them to an illustrator who is fantastic, um, and he said, "I'll illustrate it." I said, "Okay." Um, I knew some people who made the toy. I knew the charity that I wanted to support with the books. Money goes to charity, and uh, happy coincidence, I think, is probably the best way I would put it. Um, and it, the books are about diversity, about how the animals, you know, like sport. They come through challenges and obstacles and, you know, they win through at the end of the day. Um, you know, 2019 is the year of the book in Romania. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. You are focused on diversity. I think so. I think, I think also, you know, traveling and working internationally, it makes you realize, yeah. well, not only broadens your horizons, but as you know, as you, I mean... You've been in the Middle East, right? Yeah, also. yeah. But, but, but everybody, people want the same things, regardless of religion, race, color, creed. Everybody has the same set of values. You treat people the same, you know, and people ask me, what was it like being a manager in Qatar? Yeah, it must have been difficult. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was fantastic. And the reason for that is because we had a successful business, but it was, I think, mainly because we had 21 different nationalities and everybody worked together and we had such a fantastic atmosphere and, and harmony and teamwork. You know? And I'm not trying to over-idealise it, but, you know, when you have a shared set of values, you know, it doesn't, everything else is just, is secondary. You know? And I think if we're more tolerant of each other, and probably 20 years ago, if I was to listen to what I'm saying now, the younger me would have been quite surprised, yeah? Um, but I think diversity and tolerance, if we were more diverse and more tolerant, the world would be a better place, frankly. It is, in sports, we do speak the same language, sure. regardless. And uh, is that where that started, or is it an educated thing? Or I studied Russian literature. I always liked literature. So, I mean, my, my, my passion for reading and writing, I studied English at school and A-levels. So... It was always kind of there, just very hidden, I think. Um, you know, would I link sport and sort of writing? Probably, probably not. Um, but I think to your, to your question about, uh, you know, busy and balance and all that, or busy, busy person always finds time. I, I genuinely believe that. You can always find time to do things that you're passionate about. Uh, I would like to challenge you to write about this transition in sport that you mm-hmm. have. And uh, it would be great because more people would, would speak about that, would help in creating 
in creating a better understanding and we're talking and uh, we're, we don't have enough time but sure what about the, the personal branding of an athlete how, how that is affecting like a long-term view of career like how planning and did you start early planning hey I'm not gonna play rugby forever I'm not when, when did you realize that because you know, well I think I, I think it was always you know education with sport so for me it wasn't sport with education it was education with sport um, and I think you know if you were if you were a top it's quite interesting because some of the players I played with you know one or two of them they retired last year and of course you know they may have gone on and reached a standard that I didn't and to which you know of course that is what it is but If you retire at the age of 36, you've, you've played professional rugby and made a good living for 16, 17 years. But in a way, they're at the, start, the starting line of a line which, you know, so everybody has a different, every, you know, a different sort of starting line and a different journey, don't they? I think if you pick up the values of sport and you understand them and you live them, then I would argue that it's probably the transition into normal in quotation my society shouldn't be too difficult but I think on the other hand having said that I'll contradict myself by saying you can never replace top level sport and particularly in individual sport that you're focused on yourself I'm talking mainly my experience is team sports generally with balls uh, but an individual sport you're so focused on yourself that when that goes I can only begin to understand I can't even begin to understand how difficult that must be to me to me and I'm doing now a research paper on on branding of athletes and it's because I believe that earlier you, you think of your future better it is and it's a positioning in now and after the sport career but the thing is that right now I'm wondering if it matters the sport because okay mm. if you play soccer or basketball or tennis or you know sports like that that gives you a vision of a lot of money and uh, wealth and fortune and playing the lottery that you're going to be the next Ronaldo or the sure. next Kobe Bryant or something like that, then you focus all your energy into. Where other sports might be fencing and or mm. something else that is not paid like that, you still have a vision of your future. So I think that's, that's also a criteria when, when sports are like very business-oriented. But, but, but surely... You know, if you have a system where education and sport are at least in parallel and you don't have a system where you've gone into camp for 20 years and then you come out of camp. Right. You know, if you have that from the start, surely that transition period should be much easier. Plus you have the advantage you've competed and you've seen the world and generally, particularly in Romania, because you have this in your genes and your system, you have brilliant language skills. So actually, you know, those sports people, if they've kept up their, they've got so much going for them. You know, so and, and I think the one thing I would answer to your point about you know, the personal brands of the sports people is about respect. I think if the sportsmen throughout their career have shown respect to their opponents, respect to the sport, then that's that more than anything to me is the value that then becomes you transition with that value and that's then you become that has to be the basis of your personal brand. If you don't have that, if you you know, and I can think of many examples where that isn't the case. I imagine it's pretty difficult then to get people on side. I don't know. You're the expert. Yeah, well, we can talk forever. Uh, sure. I, I know you, you have to go. And thank you very much. Thank you, Roger. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Speak, uh, For sure. Other, 
long time <laughs> maybe on, uh, with another podcast in next the future. year we'll, we'll look forward to it more. Thank thanks you very much, much thank you